G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. Our series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 2, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. Friends, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And the gospel consists of three things. Christ died, Christ buried, Christ risen again, according to the scriptures. You can read this, of course, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. Very, very important. We have spent or shall we say John has spent and we have followed up the passion of Jesus. Almost half of John's gospel is devoted to the last week in the life of the Savior, and an enormous amount of attention is focused on his passion, which begins with his arrest at the Garden of Gethsemane, his trial by the Jewish council or Sanhedrin in Caiaphas' palace, and then his hearings before Pontius Pilate at the Antonia Fortress, just north of the Temple Mount. Jesus had been sent to Calvary because the mob had demanded it and Pilate capitulated. He has now died after six hours on the cross, and from here we learn about his burial. And if nothing else, we realize that Jesus was well and truly dead, hence the burial is that confirmation. He had to be fully dead in order to be fully and wonderfully resurrected. So our lesson is called The Burial of Jesus. It's based on John chapter 19, verses 31 to 42. And so we go to verse 38 of this important chapter, John 19. It says, And after this Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight, Then took they the body of Jesus, wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, 
wherein was never man yet laid. We'll stop there. It is a very important first-hand detailed account of not just the death of Jesus, but of the burial, and that Jesus was buried in a garden. Not, of course, in the ground, in a casket. There was no casket. What there was was linen cloth with spices, and eventually the deceased would be put in an ossuary after the body had decomposed, and we'll learn more about that as we go along. But what we have here is that there were faithful, secret disciples of Jesus. They didn't want to come out openly because they would have been harassed to no end. So they, now that Jesus was dead, instead of thinking, hey, we followed this guy, but he wasn't who we thought he was. We thought he would rule over our country, Israel. We thought he would get rid of the Romans. We thought he would uh, vindicate our nation. They didn't think like that. They said, look, this was a wonderful man. He's just died. Let's not let his body be thrown in some common grave. Instead, let's give him a proper burial. And I mean, it was a proper burial in the sense that he not only was put in a tomb, he was put in a nearby tomb. He was put in a brand new tomb. Now, let me say, to have a brand new tomb was impressive because Jerusalem already was an old city, 2,000 years, and now another 2,000 years has been added to Jerusalem's history, hence making it a 4,000-year-old metropolis, and he gets a new tomb, a rich man's tomb, and there he would be buried, and there he would be resurrected. Let us read now the entire portion of John chapter 19, verses 31 to 42. Our lesson is called the burial of Jesus. And that's John nineteen thirty one to 42. Friends, let's listen to God's word. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that she might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen cloths with spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, 
there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulchre, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulchre was nigh at hand. Our reading is from John chapter 19, verses 31 to 42, and our lesson is called The Burial of Jesus. Well, this is a very important account. As I said, the burial of Jesus is one of the three chain links to the gospel. And so let's learn more as we go along. Well, first of all, break their bones. John 19, verse 31 to 32. Jesus just died after six hours of hanging on a Roman cross just outside the walls of Jerusalem in a place called Golgotha, the place of a skull. In every way, his earthly ministry was complete. He had preached the gospel, validated his message through acts of power, what we call signs and wonders, and now he has died for the sins of the world. His ministry on earth and his passion were complete. In this lesson, we will witness the burial of Jesus. As I have said, it is part of the gospel message of Christ died, buried, and rose again according to the scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. Now, the burial and length of time in the tomb was important, not only to verify that Jesus was dead, but truly dead and buried, thus making his resurrection all the more impressive. Now, because the crucifixion of Jesus was on the eve of the Sabbath, the Jews sought Pilate that the bones of the three crucified men would be broken. Now, why do they do this? Because breaking the bones hastens death. They needed these guys dead so their bodies could be removed from the cross so that they could be buried and that the Sabbath would not be defiled. It was really a matter of tradition and ritual purification. Breaking the legs hastened death. Otherwise, the tortoise-slow death process could continue well into the Sabbath and even beyond. As I may have shared before, bodies could hang on a cross for days before death came in. But the Sabbath was nigh, and John makes a particular point to call it an high day. What do we mean by a high day? What differentiates this Sabbath from any other Sabbath, the day of rest, which is normally on Saturday? Well, I understand that the high day made it a special Sabbath, a special Sabbath in light of the Passover. Thus, they didn't want the Sabbath polluted, and hence the breaking of days. Now, it is possible, though not conclusive, that this high day, this special Sabbath, was on a day other than Saturday. So the soldiers were given the orders to break the bones of the crucified men, which happened to be the first man and the third man. But of interest, remember the penitent thief on the cross in the Gospel of Luke? Jesus promised him that on this very day you will be with me in paradise. Had his bones not been broken, he might have still been on the cross the next day, and perhaps the next, and Jesus' word would not have come to pass with the precision 
that it does. Let me just highlight again that other point. I'm not dogmatic on this, but when Jesus says that the only sign to be given to this generation was the sign of the prophet Jonah, what was the sign of the prophet Jonah? Jonah was in the belly of the big fish three days and three nights. So the Son of God would be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Oh, just a little aside, Jesus actually believed and advocated for the story of Jonah being in the fish. It was not mythology or legend. To him, it was a hardcore historical fact. But put that aside, for Jesus to be dead three days and three nights, it would be one possible theory is that he died on a Wednesday, not Friday. The special Sabbath was on the Thursday. Then there was Friday. And then late on Saturday, perhaps after the sunset, he rose again. Would this make three days and three nights? Yes, it would. But that's one theory. So let's continue. Jesus' bones were not broken. This was a fulfillment of Scripture. It's also a simple note of mercy and grace. We learn about being pierced here. Jesus didn't have his bones broken, but his side was pierced. By then he was dead. He wouldn't have felt anything in John 19.34. Though they were convinced Jesus was dead and there was no need to break his bones, still they didn't want to take any chances. So one of the soldiers of his own initiative took his spear and pierced the side of Jesus. That incision could have been a hand's breadth long, as we might learn down the track. Out of it came blood and water. This was also to complete the confirmation of Jesus' death, and it was a fulfillment of prophecy. You see, it tells us in John 19.35, John speaks of himself anonymously because he's a humble man. Yet he was an eyewitness to all these events. He bare record of all these things, and the phrase he uses, his record is true. This is no fairy tale stuff. This is gospel, and it's absolutely true. We can have a rightly directed faith towards Jesus, Son of David, Son of God, crucified, buried, risen again, Because of this man's testimony, we know his record is true. But in verse 36, we also know his record is true because prophecy is fulfilled. One of Jesus' great passions was that the scripture might be fulfilled. Here is one of them, the failure to break his bones. Psalm 34, verse 20, written a thousand years after, or sorry, before Jesus was crucified, It says, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. And then in verse 37 of John 19, verse 34 is a promise of prophecy fulfilled. Zechariah 12, 10, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. So the fact that his bones were not broken, but he was pierced on his side, all of that was prophesied centuries before. And then in John 19.38, we introduce Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple of Jesus. 
secret because he had a fear of the Jews. This is not the most uh, fortunate statement because it implies all Jews, all time. We're talking about the Jewish religious establishment in Jerusalem. That's who it really is referring to. He did not want to be ostracized by them. We learn in chapter 9 that anyone who declared Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Joseph wasn't willing to uh, be put out of the synagogue, although he was taking a risk by getting involved in the burial of Jesus, especially because Jesus would have been perceived as a loser. He was rejected. He was crucified. He was obviously cursed of God, because cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, according to Deuteronomy. So Joseph did take a gamble, but I guess he felt such love for this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, that he said, I will take that chance and give him an honorable burial. So he sought Pilate to receive the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave his permission. So Joseph took away Jesus' body. This is another note of mercy in the midst of the horrible and indescribable suffering that Jesus underwent. The disposal of the corpses of crucified men was probably no different to that of disposing of euthanized animals. In death, Jesus would be given the dignity of a proper burial in a brand new, unused tomb. Then comes Nicodemus, our friend from John 3, in John 19.39. He was another secret disciple mentioned in the discourse of the new birth, and he came with a hundred pounds of embalming spices like myrrh and aloes. Why? Because in verse 40 of John 19, the Jewish method of burial included wrapping the body in linen along with the spices and interring them in a tomb, usually on the same day as death. And the tomb wasn't in the ground. It was a cave covered over by a stone. And then we have the garden tomb, John nineteen forty one. In the place of the crucifixion was a garden where lies a tomb that was never used before. We understand the tomb belonged to Joseph himself, according to Matthew 27, verse 60. It was a cave with three chambers. The main chamber was for viewing by the grieving relatives, And friends, the second chamber, smaller, was for the body of the deceased to be positioned or laid, and that the linen-wrapped body would stay in that chamber for months or years until decomposition of the body was complete. Then finally, the bones were taken from the burial cloth, put in a carved stone box called an ossuary, sometimes highly decorative, long enough at least for the thigh bone, which apparently is the longest bone, and the ossuary was placed in the third chamber where other family members' ossuaries were already placed. It's like stacking shoe boxes on the shelf. This helps illustrate the Old Testament phrase that a person who died was gathered unto their fathers, like in Judges 10, or Judges 2, verse 10. The door of the cave was a huge, rough stone which sat in a groove, a rolling stone. Rolling the stone would not be easy, but it could be done. So our final verse is John nineteen forty-two. In this new tomb, near the place of the crucifixion, Jesus was buried. It was done in haste because it was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Our lesson is called The Burial of Jesus. 
And our lesson for life is that the burial of Jesus with the formal end of his passion and the beginning of a new life for all who believe. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.